Every single one of us was pursued when we didn't deserve it. Every single one of us has been embraced by a savior who is faithful and true. That's his name. And you need to remind yourself that God is right there with you. You need to remind yourself that God makes promises and that God is faithful to us. Precious promises. The promises of God in Christ are the life of faith and the quickeners of prayer. Friends, do you believe that promise? That God offers the promise of transformation if we surrender to Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church. Welcome back to week eight. Hard to believe it's week eight of our Promises of God series. And uh, sadly, we're coming to the end of this really uplifting study. Uh, but hopefully you found it beneficial. <clears throat> this is actually the, what they call the penultimate uh, sermon in our series. Uh, last week, we covered the promise of Christ's return. Next week, as Pastor Dave mentioned, we're going to celebrate Easter and uh, the promise of his victory and resurrection. Uh, today, we're going to discuss the central promise for all of us, the promise of the gospel, the promise of good news. Now, speaking of news, let me start today by asking you a question. Where do you get your news? Right on the screen, you can see some uh, popular news sources, or maybe you're somebody out there or, or watching out there today, uh, you get your news from social media, and uh, you, know, you pull out your phone, you get updated by your latest tweet or the latest post on Facebook, maybe that's you. Um, now, this can be a polarizing question in today's conversations, especially when it comes to hot-button topics. As soon as you tell somebody where you get your news sources, people automatically make assumptions about you. So where do you get your news? Now, there was a time when this wasn't a polarizing question. Does anybody remember the name Walter Cronkite? Yeah, he was the anchor man for the CBS Evening News back from 1961 to 1981, and at that time, millions of Americans tuned in to, you know, to a few news sources. They tuned in to listen to him report the news every single night. He covered historic events like the assassinations of JFK and Martin Luther King Jr. and the Vietnam War, the moon landing. During the 1960s and 70s, he earned the title, the most trusted man in America. Almost everybody got their news from Walter Cronkite, and every night he would sign off with that famous line, what was it? And that's the way it is on whatever the date was. Unfortunately, the days of Walter Cronkite are behind us. People are now incredibly suspicious of the media. Despite media outlets self-declaring themselves trustworthy, last year a Gallup poll revealed that only 9% of people had a great deal of trust in mass media. And that lack of trust has given rise to the oft-used label, fake news. This is when news articles are intentionally or verifiably false. In fact, sometimes we'll label any news outlet we disagree with as fake news. Now, my point is this. We don't have a centralized, trusted source for information anymore. If anything, news has been decentralized. Now we get our news from smartphones and social media outlets. There is no more Walter Cronkite. What do we do? We watch or we read or we listen only to news sources that we agree with, and we get ourselves into an echo chamber of ideas, and usually those ideas reinforce a negative view of somebody. Now, why is that? Because bad news sells. Bad news sells. People will watch the news 
so they can get angry at how bad things are. Are you familiar with the term clickbait? Right? Clickbait refers to a headline or a leading word of a social media post or an article. It's a teaser message. And the goal of this is to, for, is to put forth an odd or an amazing or a suspenseful phrase that gets you to, to click on it. It's, it's baiting you. For example, what if you saw a headline that said, man tries to hug wild lion, you won't believe what happens next. Well, then you got to click on it, right? Or, or maybe something like this, three biggest signs of cancer that doctors usually miss, and they always miss number three. Well, now you got to click on that to find out if, if you have cancer, right? <laughs> Clickbait is often about bad news, and the more outrageous the headline, the better. The more clicks the headline gets, the more money advertisers make. Where do you get your news? Now, there's a tension in here for Christians, because I think even as Christians, we are drawn to bad news. We want to hear that the world is going to hell. We want to have an enemy in the culture. We have to fight that culture war. Ask yourself, do I prefer hearing bad news? Why do I like bad news? Why am I drawn to it? Because underneath that obsession and those chaotic headlines, I think is a convicting truth. We like to hear bad news because it makes us feel better about ourselves. You say, what do you mean, Pastor Bob? What I mean is that it plays on our self-righteous tendencies. Because, you see, when bad things are happening in the culture, there is always somebody to blame, and it's never us. It's always the other person. It's those people who watch that news channel. And so we label those we disagree with as fake news, even, even if there is some truth in it. A prideful heart develops because we think we are not part of the problem. And so I wonder if our desire for bad news actually has obscured the reality that we need the gospel too. The clickbait, yes, may make you feel good in the moment. It plays on our emotions, but in the long run, it's going to leave us empty. And so I got to tell you at the outset here, Christian, just don't fall for the clickbait of the world. Too often I see people obsessing about bad news headlines in today's culture and not obsessing about the good news that transcends time. Is clickbait really more enticing than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Where do you get your news? Is it from the world or is it from the gospel? Because the gospel itself means good news. And in today's climate, I got to tell you, I think we need more good news, right? We need to cling to the promise of the gospel. And what does that promise offer us? Well, at least three glorious truths that we'll talk about today. First, the gospel offers us peace through the reign of God. Second, the gospel offers deliverance from this present evil age. And then third, it offers motivation for daily living. And so as we start today, let's ask the Holy Spirit to illumine our hearts as we look at God's word. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you, and Lord, I thank you for those that are watching online, those that are watching, or those that are here in person. Lord, I pray that you would move on our hearts today. Draw us back to the good news that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to grow in that, to grow deeper, and to place our trust in you above all else. Open our hearts to your word this morning. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, bad news sells. Now, I might even suggest that news outlets highlight the chaos in our world because it keeps us from seeing the possibility of peace. And I wonder sometimes, do we even want peace in our world? I mean, really? 
Is anyone else in here tired of 24-7 news cycles that seemingly highlight everything wrong in our world? I mean, it's exhausting. I think deep down, we want that chaos to end so that we can rest. And true peace only comes when King Jesus is fully on his throne. And that peace is a central element to the good news idea that we see found in Scripture. So let's start with Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 7. Isaiah writes this. He says, How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings, what? Who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Now notice the editorial language in these verses. There's news to be published, right? So look at that phrase, good news. What does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word that's used here is, is translated, that's translated as good news is the Hebrew word besora. And the word can refer to any kind of news, including bad news, but most often it refers to good news. And when you put it in verb form, it means to announce good news. There's a proclamational element to this word. And so these words more specifically refer to military success or victory in battle. And in this context, it's about God bringing salvation from enemies. In Isaiah 52.7, the phrase refers to the good news of Israel's salvation from exile. Now, as we move through the message today, I would ask you to consider this question. Where do I need good news in my life? Where do I need some besora? Now remember, that word can mean any kind of news, and each day, all of us get news of some kind, not just because you pull out your phone and you read the headlines. Maybe, maybe this week you got news that your job is demanding more of you, or maybe this week you got news that your, your teacher gave you a certain grade on an assignment, or you got news from your doctor about certain test results. We all get news every day, and I would just simply ask you, where do you need good news because the good news in Isaiah 52.7 is that there will be what? There's going to be peace through the reign of God. And even though the world is in chaos, peace will come as his reign extends over all the earth. Now, you may be familiar, the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom, which refers to an absence of hostility and conflict. And boy, do we, man, do we need the absence of hostility and conflict in our world. But more than that, there's a positive sense with this word. Shalom refers to a period of unity and cooperation and righteous relationships among humanity. Because when Messiah, when King Jesus comes, this peace will be, will be published. It's going to be enacted, and there's going to be good news of what? Of happiness, or a better translation is probably goodness. Now, if you focus in on that word happiness or goodness, the word implies that all our negative experiences... All our negative experiences of evil and hatred and sickness and death, they're no longer going to be present. That's what he's saying here. Instead, they're going to be replaced by what? By salvation. The bad news will be turned to good news. Now, let me be clear for a second here about the reality of peace. Because in this Isaiah passage, yes, there is a future not yet component to this peace, because at the end, yes, Jesus is going to come back, as we learned a few weeks ago. All hostilities are going to end. He's going to rule. However, there's also an already present reality to this peace, and I want to suggest there's two realities of this present peace. First, for us, Christ offers us peace in our hearts, because we have been made right with God through his sacrifice. We have an inner peace that we can cling to no matter what. 
But second, because Christ rules our hearts, now Christ calls us to bring, bring peace to our world. We're called to be peacemakers. And if Jesus is the king of our heart, we are called to bring his kingdom in the here and now of this present reality. And this is especially true when we see tragedies unfold. In fact, if we come back to the news for just a second, in the last few weeks, we've seen some images of deadly shootings throughout our country flashing across our screen. So first, there's a lone gunman who goes on a killing spree in Atlanta, killing eight people, most of them Asian-Americans. And then we see on the news that 10 more people were killed outside a supermarket in Colorado. What tragedies, we say. What a reminder that peace has not yet been fulfilled, has not yet been fully published in our world. Goodness has not taken hold, and full salvation is not yet here. Imagine being a family member of one of these victims. We need more good news in our lives. Now, politicians speak about unity and peace in a divided world. But we have to recognize that true peace only comes when hearts and minds are surrendered to the true king. And one day they will be. But the promise of the gospel is that one day peace will come. One day we will all sing like the psalmist in Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. And I, this is some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. The psalm, it's an announcement. The psalmist does not mean that we will sing an entirely new song, but he is saying that we will sing in a fresh way as we experience God. When God intervenes and he brings peace to this world, we will sing like the people did on Palm Sunday thousands of years ago, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The king is here and there will be peace. So where do you get the good news of peace in your life? You cling to the promise of the gospel that peace is possible now, and it will be fully realized in the future. Through the reign of God's Son. Look at how Mark begins his gospel in the New Testament. He says this. He says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold! I am sending my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, if you notice that word gospel, it appears in the first verse, and it does not simply mean the genre that Mark is writing in. It's referring to the good news about Jesus Christ specifically. And the Greek word that's used is equivalent to that, that Old Testament Hebrew word. The Greek word, which is used all over the New Testament, is the word euangelion, which denotes a military victory. It's the good news that Messiah has come. Salvation is here. In fact, theologian Chris Kugler notes that this concept has a direct tie to Isaiah 52.7. Look at what he writes. He says this, when the concept of gospel is equated with the news about Jesus, it identifies the message about Jesus, kingdom-bringing life death, and resurrection as the fulfillment of God's ancient promises in what? In Isaiah 52.7, that he will redeem Israel and the world. Thus, the gospel in the New Testament is the notion that God has accomplished his ancient promises of salvation through the Messiah, Jesus. And John the Baptist knows this, and so he proclaims 
the coming of Jesus everywhere. And then look what Jesus himself says about the gospel in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 1 of Mark. He says, it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled, Messiah is here, God's kingdom is here, God's rule and reign is present in the hearts of his people. What do we do? We now repent, we turn from our former ways, and we believe in the life-saving power of Jesus. We are sinners in need of a savior. And if you don't believe that, just remember the news we talked about, right? We're drawn to bad news. We crave chaos. We fall for clickbait, We look down on others. That's pride and it's evidence that our heart still needs transformation. And Jesus Christ is calling all of us to repent of our sins, to turn to him, to allow him to take the throne of our heart so that peace can be more fully achieved in a divided world. And one day it will. That's the promise of the gospel. The glorious reign of God will come. So where do you need peace in your life? Submit that area of your heart to the reign of Christ because the promise of the gospel is a published peace in a world when King Jesus reigns in our hearts and lives. He can turn that bad news and turn it into good news. Now, not just because there will be peace, but secondly, there's going to be deliverance from this present evil age. Deliverance from this present evil age. So, We saw some glimpses of the good news of the gospel in the Old Testament and then in the life of Jesus, but if you fast forward in the New Testament, we encounter a preacher named Paul of Tarsus who famously proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles. And what does Paul say about the gospel? Look at how he greets the church in Galatia in his letter to them. He says this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul begins his letter with this standard salutation. And then he concludes the opening with this magnificent statement about the work of Christ on the cross. Specifically, he focuses on this delivering power of Jesus. And in those few verses, he outlines the glorious promise of the gospel. First, he says, Jesus gave himself for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. It was a voluntary and final sacrifice. Now, if you don't know the gospel message, whether you're here or whether you're listening at home or later on, let me be crystal clear. All of us have sinned. We have broken God's moral law and are in need of redemption. But the Bible tells us, but God, in his great mercy, sent his son to die a death on the cross that satisfied God's righteous demand for sinners to be reconciled to him. In other words, Jesus redeemed us. And what did that redemption accomplish? Justification. We are made right before God the Father. We are at peace with him now. We have been adopted into his family. He saved us from his just wrath, from eternity in hell, and gave us the future eternal hope of living with him forever. That is the gospel. Now, not only the future, but second, we have deliverance from this present evil age. And Christian, here's something you cannot miss in the scriptures. The gospel is an emancipating message. Jesus set you free 
From what? From the world's system and from eternal judgment. There is a cosmic and a personal aspect to this promise. So first, as in Isaiah's passage, we see that Jesus will one day make this world new and right. Peace and justice will reign because of his triumph on the cross over sin, over hell and death and Satan. And then secondly, he has personally set us free from sin's power so that we are justified and adopted into the family of God. We are no longer slaves to sin, but servants to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of us need to hear this message again today because we are feeling enslaved to the world and our sinful desires. We live in that already but not yet reality where Jesus has rescued us from this present age, but he has not taken us out of it. We are to trust in the promise of the gospel which gives us the power to live a holy life that's pleasing to God. And the will of God is this. To follow that, to pursue him so that he would get the glory. This is the glorious promise of the gospel. Now Paul takes a a hard left-hand turn when you get to verse 6. And this is what he says. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to what? To a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, if you've ever read Galatians before, you know this, feel, this feels abrupt. It's supposed to feel abrupt. Because Paul essentially greets the believers, he does the niceties, but then he gets right to the point. Right? He says, why have you abandoned the gospel? In other words, he says, Christians believed that glorious promise of the gospel, but they quickly ran to what? They ran to a false gospel. In Galatia, there was a group of false teachers known as the Judaizers, And they were teaching a works-based salvation where you had to become a Jew and adopt all the Jewish customs to become a Christian. And Paul says, no, 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 no. No, the gospel is based on grace, not works. You believe in the promise, he asserts. And he talks in Galatians 3 about how we're children of the promise. These teachers are distorting the gospel. They're deceiving the believers. And you ask, is this even possible? Well, I would suggest, just as we learned at the beginning, the Galatians are falling for some clickbait. They are seeing the flashy headlines that they just can't resist, the other news that's out there, the other messages that's out there, and so as a result, they're missing the good news of the gospel. And so I ask you, how about you, Christian? Is it possible to believe another gospel? Well, I want to spend some time right now applying this because I think many Christians, well, they hear the promise of the gospel and you say, well, yeah, I've been there, I've done that, I know that, I know it, right? I know the truth of the gospel, I know there's peace, it's possible, I know there's deliverance, that's our hope, but like the Galatians, we start believing in these other gospel messages that keep us from experiencing the promise of the true gospel. So let me illustrate it this way. I have always loved cereal. Right? I wonder if there's any cereal lovers out there, okay? Our pantry growing up always had a wide variety of cereals that my family loved to eat. Now, this week I decided I'm going to go shopping at ShopRite, pull out the bowl and, bas- bowl and uh, you know, basket uh, bag and buy some of the cereals that I like growing up. Now, I know, I know nowadays it's like, it's like in vogue to get like the, you know, the, the really organic granola cereals, so don't judge me too much as I tell you what we had growing up. 
But uh, the first cereal that I loved, and maybe this was your, your favorite too, was Frosted Flakes. Okay. Right, okay, yeah, I see some claps. I see those hands. All right. Just hold on. There's more coming. All right, so fr- now Frosted Flakes are essentially corn flakes just doused in sugar. Right, that's all they are. But they're so good, right? Tony the Tiger tells me they're great. So I had to have these all the time growing up, and then my dentist got angry at me, but that's what we did. Second cereal I loved growing up, okay? Cinnamon Toast Crunch, okay? Some fans are about, no, this one didn't get clapsed, but let me tell you something. Rice cereal covered in sugar and cinnamon, ugh. And my favorite part of having Cinnamon Toast Crunch was the fact that after I was done, that flavor had just dripped down into the milk, and you could just drink this good cinnamon sugary milk. It was, oh man, it was... Better than Frosted Flakes, that was it. But by far, by far, my favorite cereal growing up was dun, 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 Lucky Charms, okay? All right, yes, we got some, all right, thank you. Man, great crowd today. Now, Lucky Charms, now, okay, let me, let me just tell you how, how I would eat Lucky Charms. Maybe you did this too. They got the toasted oats in here, and then they have these delicious marshmallows that are magically delicious, they told me, right? So I would always eat the toasted oats and save the marshmallows for the end because I wanted to have that sugary goodness at the end. Mmm, so good. Now, have you ever been to a cereal aisle nowadays? You go into the supermarket, you walk down the cereal aisle, what do you notice? There are so many choices Right, there's, there's different brands. There's knockoff brands of all of these on the aisle. How do you choose what cereal to buy? They're all enticing you. They're all marketing to you. How do you know which one is best for you? Because here's the thing. They got these sugary cereals, but there's also healthy cereals for you. So growing up, we tried to be a little bit healthy, and we would get Raisin Bran, okay? The Raisin Bran is slightly healthier. It's still got some sugar in it, right? But, man, it tells me it's heart healthy. So there's some bran flakes that, you know, kick my heart into high gear. Raisin Bran. Now, if you really want to be healthy, and maybe some of you are, you have to go and get Fiber One. Okay. I don't want to offend anybody, but this thing is disgusting. Like, have you ever tried to eat, like, the real Fiber One, not, not, not the one where they try to throw some sugar on it? This is like eating rabbit food. Okay, you got to like throw some honey on top of it to make it palatable, but it's good for you, right? It's got, what does it tell me? Whole grain, 65% value of daily fiber, right there. Man, here's my point. Just like there's so many choices of cereals out there, there are many different gospel messages out there. How do you stay true to the right one? Now, some of these messages are coated in sugar like Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Lucky Charms. They're enticing to us. But they taste good in the short term, but in the long run, they're going to give you diabetes. Fiber One is probably the healthiest cereal for you up here, but it really doesn't taste good. It's hard to get it down. But you eat it when you're trying to refine yourself and have a healthier lifestyle. Let me take this illustration a little further. Alicia Childers of... uh, she, used to, she was in the Christian rock band Zoe Girl back in the day. Uh, she wrote a book called, aptly titled, Another Gospel. And in the book, she chronicles her journey into and out of progressive Christianity. 
So she says, while I was attending this progressive church, she started attending a class where everyone, including the pastor, was questioning the truth of the historic Christian worldview. And Alicia had to take a long, hard look about the claims of the gospel, and ultimately she found for herself that the Bible and the gospel can stand up against scrutiny. So she offers a helpful illustration about how we can be drawn to other gospels, much like these serials we just discussed. So she says this, she says, while I was teaching an apologetics class for a youth group, I asked them the question, who wants to start a new religion? And then four teenage boys raised their hands, and she had them come up front, okay? So you can already tell, it's going to be exciting. So she gave them the rules. She says, uh, if you, you have to create an entirely new religion that's not true, right? What are your reasons for starting this new religion? And so one boy raised his hand, he said, oh, money. And she said, that's right, yes, money. You can make a lot of money on a new religion. You can take big offerings. You can sell merchandise. Maybe you can take a salary if you're a good speaker. Has anybody heard of Scientology? Another boy raised his hand and said, power. And she said, yes, you could become an influential leader in this new religion. A third boy raised his hand and said, I want to be famous And she said, that's right, if you're successful, your videos may be plastered all over YouTube. You might get a bunch of hits on there. You might be on TV and the radio. And then she suggested a fourth reason to start a new religion could be be attention from the opposite sex. Remember, these are teenagers. If you have money and you're powerful and you're famous, your, your romantic prospects might increase. So Alicia finished the experiment by asking these boys, what might happen if this new religion wasn't successful? What if this new religion got them beat up and thrown in jail and ostracized from society? Because she says that's what happened to the earliest Christians, which really is a major reason why they didn't make the whole thing up. Their religion wasn't based on sugar-coated fantasies. It was based on the truth of the promise of the gospel that one day peace will come and we will be delivered from our sins once and for all. Now, like the boys in this experiment, what I want to point out is that all of us are drawn to the alluring promise of some false gospel. And even on Palm Sunday, thousands of years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people were expecting this military ruler. But Jesus said, listen, I'm not that kind of king. And the crowd turned on him because he didn't offer the sugary coating they wanted. And so Paul says this to the Galatians. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The promise of the gospel delivers us from this present evil age, but we are so quick to buy into the false promise of money and fame and power and sex. I mean, this is is the storyline of the whole Bible. The Israelites went to the golden calf. We are always deserting these things. All of us are not exempt from this. All of these other things promise some sugary goodness that's going to lead to destruction. But instead, the the true gospel is closer to five or one. Right? It It may... you know, cost us some pleasure, but it will lead to a healthier, eternal outcome. You have a choice of which gospel to believe. Which gospel are you believing? Don't desert the true gospel for a false promise. 
Because the true gospel provides peace and deliverance. And once those truths get deep down in our hearts, finally they provide our motivation for daily living. Our motivation for daily living. Now, I heard a pastor say one time, and I think this is true. Let's see if you agree with me. Modern people are not on a truth quest as much as we'd like them to be. They are on a happiness quest, which is why we're drawn to the sugary goodness of these cereals. Make me happy. Most of us listening to this message today, our main motivation in life is to be happy. And happiness is often defined as fulfilling our dreams. What is the message we often tell our kids? You can be anything you want, which is really a false promise. Right, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Right? My parents neglected to tell me that I was 5'7 and wasn't really that fast. <laughs> wasn't going to happen for me. You can't be anything you want, but you can be who God calls you to be. And particularly American people have bought into this gospel of happiness idea, and it has changed the way that we live on a daily basis. Now, the promise of the gospel says that God has saved you, he has given you a specific work to do in your gifting, and your motivation for living is not about you, it is about God and his glory. To pursue another gospel would be sinful. So look at how Paul finishes this section of Galatians. He says this in verse 8. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be what? Accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be what? Let him be accursed. What is he? Man, these are harsh words. He says, let those who preach a false gospel, one other than the true one, let them be accursed. Now that word, the word gospel, which I've been, I've been saying a lot here, was not a uniquely Christian term. It was used in classical Greek to mean good news of various sorts, but when you get to the New Testament, it was specifically applied to the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It included the recitation of God's mighty acts of deliverance through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The benefits of the gospel were what? They were forgiveness of sins, a right standing before God, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and all of this comes by grace through faith. And so we've already discussed these, these, our propensity to believe these false gospels. And Paul reserves his harshest language here, condemning these false gospels. He says, let that person be accursed. Now, the Greek word for accursed is the Greek word anathema. And for somebody to be anathematized is even worse than excommunication. It means to suffer the eternal retribution and judgment of God. Or if I put it more plainly, what Paul is saying is if you preach a false gospel, you will be condemned to hell. That's literally what the word means. So this is serious. To deceive someone about the promise of the gospel is worthy of condemnation. And then Paul finishes by talking about our motivation. Verse 10, he says this, For am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that's where the section ends, with our motivation. Whose approval are you seeking? Because we live in an age driven by markets. We design our churches to reach a certain type of audience. 
Maybe we are not so different than the news media we talked about at the beginning. Are we adjusting the message, the promise of the gospel, to make it more palatable than what Jesus himself said? Right? In Mark 1.15, he said, repent and believe in the gospel, the good news. And repentance is, is a word we rarely use today. Right? It, it is unsavory to modern people. Why would we need to repent? Right? If, it would mean that I've done something wrong. And in 21st century America, we are not supposed to tell anyone their lifestyle is wrong, right? The promise of the gospel is that if you repent and believe that Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins, then the peace of his rule and reign are guaranteed. Deliverance from this present evil age is promised to you. This grace is what provides our motivation for living because we are trying to please God, not man. Because the gospel is not fake news, it is good news. But church, it's only good news if your hearts have been awakened to the truth. You have a choice. Will you run to the sugary allure of the gospel of cinnamon toast crunch and lucky charms? Or will you believe in the life-altering power of the true gospel? The former makes us slaves to the world's promises. The latter sets us free to pursue Christ's promises. So Paul says, if I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that's where I'd like to to end here today, is talking about how do we become servants of Christ and receive that promise of the gospel. So let's review the three truths we talked about today and apply them. First, we have to submit our heart to the rule and reign of Christ's rule. As we learned in Isaiah 52, 7, peace and salvation will be published headlines in every human beings submitted to the true king. The reason that there's so much chaos and hatred and fear-mongering in our world is because our hearts are not submitted to Jesus. Our world worships something else. But for you, dear Christian, I would ask you today to examine your heart. Who is your Lord? Is it Jesus or money or power or luxury This week, just take five minutes each day in prayer to honestly ask this question of Jesus, are you ruling my heart? Second, believe in his delivering power. Because too many of us are living like we're slaves. We're blindly pursuing false gospels. And I want you to remember, again, this illustration with the cereals that I put up here. Many of us are buying into the sugary goodness of these false gospels, the gospels of Frosted Flakes and Lucky Charms. Not literally, but we think that if we have enough money or if, if, if we go to the gym every day and work out, our health will always be good. Or if we keep the right image on social media, then we will always be an influencer. When you pray this week, take some time to ask the Holy Spirit to uncover the false gospels you're believing And then third, live for God's approval, not man's. Because many of us are approval addicts. Whose approval do you seek? The answer to that question forms the way you live more than you realize. If it's my friend group, I find that the way I talk shifts based on who I speak with. If it's my wife, when she gets angry at me, my whole world crashes down. If if it's a respected colleague... I will not be able to speak truth to them for fear of losing their approval. Our motivation for living should be God's approval, his glory, 
And so finally, in prayer this week, ask the Holy Spirit to cut through that facade and show you whose approval you truly seek. Because when these truths are revealed, the transforming power of the gospel will take hold. As we fall more in love with Jesus and his healing and delivering power, the chains of slavery will fall off. Peace and deliverance and motivation, each of these are elements of the power of the gospel. But I want to close with one final life-altering benefit of the promise of the gospel, and that is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, this is something our modern world knows little of. We live in an age of cancel culture where there's no forgiveness, right? Even if you did something or said something or tweeted or posted something unacceptable decades ago and you apologize for it, you could still lose everything. People live in fear of saying or posting anything that might come back to haunt them. And this is evidence that forgiveness and grace has been lost in our culture, and that's sad, our world has bought into a different gospel. The true gospel says something entirely different. It says that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. The promise of the gospel is that when we stand before a holy God one day, when he looks on us, he will see us covered and washed by the blood of the Lamb, that we are forgiven sinners, redeemed saints, the promise of the gospel that we hold on to is this, as John so eloquently puts it, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's our memory verse this week. It's the enduring promise that we cling to. Jesus Christ came to rescue us, and he offers the promise of forgiveness for all who run to him. He offers peace both here now and in the future. He promises deliverance for all, from all who oppress us. And he gives us freedom and motivation for daily living. All because of his amazing love for us. The gospel is not fake news, it is good news. And so as the worship team comes to give us one final song, let me finish with the words of the great hymn by Charles Wesley. And can it be? And just listen to these words as we, as we close today. He writes, And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued amazing love? How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And then he, he concludes, he says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused the quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be? that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your Son who died in our place for our sins, Lord God, that we might have new life, resurrection power, 
acceptance into your family, peace because we're made right with you, Lord God. And Father, I pray for my friends out there who are here and those that are listening. If there's anybody who has never repented of their former way of life, put their trust in you, Lord God. I pray today that they would pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I so often run to those false sugary gospels. Awaken my heart. Forgive me. I want to place my trust in you, Lord Jesus, the only one who can save and who offers the promise of new life. I give myself to you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. And if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to talk with you. And as we close today, Father, may you awaken our hearts again to that glorious truth. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.